Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we praise You that You've given us this time to come and to be in Your house, to to worship You, to exalt You, Lord. We're here to, to magnify Your name and to allow Your Spirit to speak to our hearts. Lord, as we study Your Word and as we seek to understand uh, Your desire for our life, Lord, may You uh, guide us and may You uh, strengthen us in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Now, last week we kind of started out with uh, talking about going fishing, going to, uh, and the whole purpose of our being a church is to reach those who are lost, to reach out to those who are uh, still in sin, to, to help people to understand and know the, uh, the love of Jesus Christ and to, and to help people to, uh, to hear the, the voice of God in their life. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I don't know if you really heard it last week as much as you might have, should have, but um, when we tell other people about Jesus Christ, we're not leading them to Jesus. We're just simply being used of the Holy Spirit. He leads them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when we, uh, when we try and reach people who are lost and when we try and help those people who are uh, unaware of God's love for their life, we're just sharing with them what God's done in us. We're not saving them. We're not, and look, even if you sit there and you pray with them a, a, a prayer to accept Jesus into their heart and life, you didn't save that person. The Holy Spirit led that person to a saving grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, the whole, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that helped them to understand the need for the love of Christ in their life. It's God that saved them, not you. And it's nothing that we did. It's simply that we're being willing to be used of God uh, to... Uh, to share our story, to, st- to share what we uh, uh, have experienced. And in doing so, hopefully they'll understand how wonderful it is to accept Jesus into their heart and life. Well, we're going to take a next step on and we're going to talk about fishing buddies today. Uh, isn't it wonderful to uh, if you do so? Now, I, I confess last week I don't do a whole lot of fishing, but I imagine... Uh, uh, a lot of people that do go fishing, and I and I appreciate those who do fish that that have extended invitations to me to go fishing with them. I I love to go and do that, and uh, hopefully enjoy doing some of that to understand uh, why it is that you like to go out and stare at the lake uh, or the pond for hours on end. Uh, now I enjoy the part where you catch the fish and you uh, uh, and you put it on the grill or you put it in a frying pan and you eat it. Now, I enjoy that part, but but the part of just sitting there staring at the pond or staring at the lake or whatever you're uh, fishing at, uh, the creek, the river, or whatever. I've, you know, I, I used to, uh, South Carolina has a lot of places for people to go fishing. And one of the things that people in South Carolina love to do at least where I was living before moving to Georgia, was uh, you'd drive, be driving along this long 
uh, empty highway, and Georgia's got a few of those too, but I'd have to drive these long, empty stretches of highway going to one hospital or to another, and I'd come across uh, this uh, place in the highway where there'd be a whole bunch of cars sitting at an overpass over a creek, and there'd be all these cars there. And I, the first couple of times I saw it, I was wondering, what's going on here? Did somebody drown? Did somebody get carried away by the, uh, the creek or the river or whatever? And what I found out was I'd slow down and I'd look over the side and I'd see all these people with their fishing poles fishing into the creek, uh, getting some fish out of the creek. And I thought, well... That's nice and all, but I, I and I love fish, but I'm not going to sit there and fish out of that dirty old creek. But those people did; they loved doing that, and they would stand under the the overpass and and they to get a little shade, and they would fish in those areas where it was nice and cool, and 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 evidently they caught some because they wouldn't be out there doing it again the next time I came by. But one of the things that people enjoy when they go fishing is to have a fishing buddy, and we're going to talk about fishing buddies today but before we get into that this time of the year reminds me of a time when especially when i was in seminary or in other places where now in order to help make a little extra money while i was in seminary one of the things and to gain experience was uh, we were encouraged those of us who had already been ordained to put our name on a list and uh, a list of available people that would be willing to do weddings. And um, so uh, this is the time of the year that my phone when I was in seminary would start to ring a lot because I'd get people that would call me up and they'd say, uh, Preacher, we're wanting to get married. Do you do weddings? And I'd, I'd tell them, well, yes, I do. And, I'd, and then I'd go into what I'd, I expected of them to do in order to do a wedding. I always, even while I was seminary, I, I always wanted to have a time where I would sit and talk with the, the, uh, the bride-to-be and, uh, and the groom-to-be. And one of the things that was common all across the board was... The bride, now when, when you ladies, when you uh, were preparing for your wedding, and some of you, it was a long time ago that you did that, and so others, it's not as long. But when you're getting ready for a wedding, one of the things that you ladies like to do is you like to get all these big, thick... Mag- Back then, they had a bride's magazine. Do they still have bride's magazine today? Okay, those things were humongous. Looked like a phone book. I mean, that was a big old thing. And it'd have all these dresses in it. And you ladies, you like looking at all the different dresses. You like to look at all the flowers and arrangements. And, and you'd have pictures of different cakes. And you love to look at all the different options. Because guess what? It usually is left up to the bride, isn't it, to, to make all those plans. And the bride and the mother's, uh, the bride's mother, y'all would sit down and you talk about all the arrangements that you want. Uh, what you want the bridesmaids to wear and what you want the flower girl and the and ring bear and all that and there's just all kinds of stuff that goes into getting married isn't it or is it something you just throw it together in an hour it takes months and months for those that have those big fancy weddings with flowers and all that kind of stuff and and so ladies you ladies when you prepare a wedding your your thoughts are that one special day that day when you're going to 
walk down the aisle and get married. Now for the groom, the groom doesn't think all about all that, do they? No, their mind is on when? Their mind's on the honeymoon, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> life after marriage, not life before marriage. But you're not thinking about that that day when you're... St- Usually the grooms, they... They're kind of dreading it, aren't they? You grooms, they, they the grooms there because most of those guys, they, they you never see them in a suit any other time in their life except maybe when they uh, get married. Uh, is the is the day they get married and they put on a suit and tie and they get all dressed up and and they're all they're all they're thinking about is this right here, trying to get that collar off from their, their neck because they they already can feel it starting to strangle around their neck. <laughs> Because they're not used to that tie, and and they're not used to getting all dressed up and fancified and gussied up, and 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 I done I done some weddings where the guy he come in and and I had to tell him, to, son, take your hat off. I'm not gonna marry you with a hat on, and you and they come in in jeans and a t-shirt, and a, and the bride come in in a fancy old dress and everything, and I was like. Why, why, why wouldn't you at least take an effort to dress up a little bit? But I guess the bride was just happy to get him down the aisle to the to the wedding. Let alone, but 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 the groom, his whole thoughts are that night. What's it going to be like to be finally married and have have that relationship? Now. When we are Christians, when we come to Christ, that's kind of the way we are. We we need to uh, a lot. Uh, when we become a Christian, we become a part of what? What's the Bible tell us that we become a part of the bride of Christ, and we're uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is compared to the bridegroom. And and the church is considered the bride, and and all of our thoughts, a lot of times when we become a Christian, are that day in which we'll be united with Jesus Christ, right? And that day when we'll unite with Jesus, and when we uh, are with Him. But what is the thought on the thought of Jesus? Jesus isn't always. Uh, Jesus' thought isn't on the day in which we'll be united together so much as all of eternity. And we see that in His teachings. When, when we hear about, uh, Jesus talk, it's, it's, it's not just about the day in which we are united together. That's kind of the, the culmination. But His thought is, is all of eternity. Kind of like the honeymoon is, you know, the beginning of the next chapter of our life. And really, when we uh, are thinking about this whole issue of reaching people, we need to think uh, like the bride and the groom. We need to do that. Let's look in John, and I'll explain a little bit of it as we go through this. Look with me in John chapter 1, and we're going to start... Round verse 15. Look at verse 15. John, having witness of him, cried, saying, This is, was he of whom, whom I spake. He, 
that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, what's, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? And, he said, and he's telling his disciples and he's telling those who are around him that he's preaching to. Now, this is not John, uh, the, uh, uh, the writer of John. Uh, this is John the baptizer. This is uh, the one uh, that we call John the Baptist. You know, that's how he got his name. John the Baptist was. Is it really, he they started calling him John. You know, that guy that was out there baptizing everybody, and so he got to be known as John the baptizer. And so John, uh, the one, the voice crying in the wilderness. John, the guy that li- uh, that was out there in the in the wilderness in camel's hair suit, and and he was out there and he was eating locusts and honey and he was telling people what repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he's talking about jesus christ and and so john having witnessed him he was telling people look it's not about me it's about jesus that's coming it's about him that's coming and of his fullness having all we received in the grace of uh, for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth is come by Jesus Christ no man having seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and levites and the Dru- and from Jerusalem to, to ask him who art thou <coughs> so John is being asked of the uh, Jews and the Pharisees who are you <coughs> they're wanting to know excuse me they're wanting to know John are you the uh, are you the prophet that's come are you Elijah Let's, let's read that. Who art thou? And he confessed and uh, denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? That's uh, the word translated for Elijah into uh, a Greek there. Are you Elijah? Uh, now, why are they asking this? Because it was foretold that Elijah would come before the Messiah. He says, "Are you?" Uh, they said, "Are you Elijah?" And he said, "I'm not." And art thou the prophet? And he answered, "No." And then uh, they're saying, "Are you the Messiah?" And he says, "No, I'm not the Messiah." Uh, then said he unto them, "Who art thou, that we may give an answer of them that have sent us?" And he said, uh, "What sayest thou of thyself?" And he said, "I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, uh, as said the prophet Isaiah." Now, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him, and they said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou not be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but uh, there standeth one among you whom you know not. He, he it is whom coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in uh, Bethsaida, or uh, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day John, seeing Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So now we see John... He's been given all these questions. Who are you, John? Are you the Elijah? Are you the one who's coming 
that's the prophet. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we're looking for? And John says, nope, not any of those guys. He says, I'm just one that's declaring that, that there's coming one. And he says, I'm out here crying out in the wilderness and I'm telling people that they need to understand that there's one that's coming. And then a few days later, he's out there uh, uh, he's out there preaching and he sees Jesus and he knows immediately that it's the one that, uh, that he is to point people towards. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And, th- and verse 30 says, And this is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which I preferred, uh, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, <clears throat> but he should be made no- uh, manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and abode upon him, and I knew him not, but he that has sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next... Next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed after Jesus. And the Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto him, What seekest thou? And what saith unto him, uh, they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, uh, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw wherewith he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he, sa- uh, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah, and thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And then the, following, uh, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida and the city of Andrew uh, and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses is the law, uh, in the law, and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any, any good thing that come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming in, uh, to him and said un, unto him, Behold an Israelite in whom indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, How knowest, uh, which now knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
So what we see here is the calling of some of the first disciples. We kind of look at, looked at that some last week and saw some of that in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're looking and seeing some of this in John. And it's a different view of some of the calling of the disciples. And what I want you to see, first of all, is John at first is uh, challenged. And he's asked, who are you? Are And they're kind of asking, are you the Christ? And he says, look, I'm not him, but I'm uh, out here declaring of him who is to come. John doesn't even know that it's Jesus that he's going to share at this point. He's just saying there's one coming that is going to be revealed unto you that I'm not even worthy of unlatching his sandals. And then a the, uh, couple of days later, Jesus comes along and he sees Jesus and the Spirit reveals to him that this is the Christ. And he says, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He immediately points his disciples and those whom he's preaching to that this is Jesus. He's the one that we're uh, that I told you about. He's the one that I said, look, I'm baptizing with water. He said, but there's coming one that baptized with the Holy Spirit with fire from heaven. This is him. You need to follow him. So first of all, we see that John is doing the very first task of any believer. When you accept Jesus Christ in your heart and life, well, uh, a lot of people think, you know, the first task I have to do is to be baptized and to start living a Christian life. Nope, that's not the first task you need to do. The first task that you need, you and I need to do when we accept Jesus Christ in our heart and life is to tell others about Jesus. The first and foremost job that any of us have as Christians is to tell others about Jesus. To tell others where to look. And you, need, you need to understand that when you accept Jesus Christ in your heart and life, and I hope that this is the case uh, in your life uh, years after you've accepted Jesus, it certainly is the case when you first accept Jesus is your life is different. People are going to see that your life is not the same as it was before. They're going to see in you something that's different, that's changed. And hopefully, as a Christian, your life is still that way to this day. And There's so many of us who've gotten so accustomed to living in the world after we've accepted Christ that we're no longer that distinctive person that, shared, that is shining forth something different about you. John had it. John was out there and he was saying, look, there's coming one. You need to repent. God's plan is at hand. Something's happening. Something's going to happen. You need to be ready for it. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. But we don't do that anymore, do we? When we as Christians, a lot of times we get so caught up in the Monday, every day, uh, day in and day out of life that we, get, uh, we lose our message. John never lost his message. He said, look, it's coming. And with each successing day that that Jesus didn't come, he'd get more and more excited. He'd get more and more excited about the fact because guess what? He realized something that you and I need to realize too. Some of you have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. Some of you maybe even longer. Think about the day that you accepted Christ. In my life, when I accepted Christ, I was just a little child. 
And I was just a, a first grader in school. I remember the day like it was yesterday. I remember sitting there in school and I was thinking, what is life all about? We talked about that this morning in Sunday school when we were studying Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said in Ecclesiastes 1, everything is vanity. Vanity is vanity. Everything is vanity. He says, look, life is worthless. It's meaningless. Why? Because Solomon had been blessed of God and God had given him everything that his heart uh, desired. Why? He was king of Israel. He had, without uh, being blessed with the Spirit of God upon his life to have great wisdom, he already was getting uh, great wealth and great standing. Great, and, and he was, he, listen, he was the king. That might not mean a lot to some of us, but it meant it shouldn't mean a lot. He was king. So he had anything he wanted. He had all that he desired. He had everything. And Solomon, even at that point, realized everything is just useless. It's futile. It's vanity. He says later in Ecclesiastes, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's just like the flowers in the field. You go out there and you pick some of these little flowers out in, in uh, the cemetery. Uh, not some of the ones that have been put there by others, please, but some of them that are growing. They're out there. They're wild. You go pick some of those flowers and you put them in your house in a day or two. That what's going to happen? They'll be dead. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Solomon said, look, the flowers of the field, they're here today to give all kinds of beauty and tomorrow they're just dead and they're nothing more useful than throwing into the fire to get a fire going. He says they're just kindling. They're, they're useless. Solomon said such is life. Today is special. It's all nice and everything like that beautiful flower. Tomorrow it's just a faded memory. It's just another day. And all of life is vanity. We think life is so special and we get and but everything is just going on and on and on. Monotonous. We talked about it just going on and on. And life can get that way. Our Christian life can be that way. But the thing that we need to understand is with each successing day, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you ought to get excited with the passing of every day. Why? Why? Why should be, you be more excited today than the day you got saved? I'll tell you one good reason. We're one day closer to Jesus coming back. We're one day closer to seeing Jesus face to face. We're one day closer to being in His presence and being able to worship Him. We ought to be excited for today because yesterday we weren't as close as we are today to Jesus. And tomorrow we'll be even closer. And we ought to get excited. And John was one of those people that realized that. He said, you know what? Today is more exciting than yesterday because I'm going to be closer to the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is coming. I know it's about to happen. It's coming. And I'm excited because it didn't come yesterday. That means it might come today. It might be that tomorrow is coming. And I'm closer today to tomorrow than I was yesterday because yesterday was two days away from tomorrow. And tomorrow is closer today because tomorrow is just tomorrow. And he, he just, everything about him was getting more and more 
more excited. You've ever seen one of those people? They're just always excited about something. And John was excited because he said, there's coming someone that is great. You need to understand, the Spirit of God came down and lighted upon Jesus Christ. And now I know it's Him. And you need to realize that it's Him to follow. That's the second thing. Not only as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, do we need to get excited every day that we get to live for Him, that we get to be closer to Jesus Christ in our Christian walk. Not only do we need to be excited, but we need to secondly realize that we have the privilege of pointing to Jesus. John said, my whole task is not to be the Messiah, but to point to the Messiah. We, he says, I'm pointing you to the way to Christ. I'm pointing you to one who is greater than I'll ever be, who's greater than I'll ever dream of being. He says, you need to see Jesus Christ. And in, and in uh, uh, these verses, if you just even go over to verse 35, he says, <coughs> after sees, he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He, he says, look, he's basically saying, look, to his disciples, look, you need to see Jesus. You need to follow Him. And he says, go after Him. Don't follow me. Follow after Jesus. Our, our task is not to create a following after us. It's to create a following after Jesus Christ. Our role is not to, to get all the kind of praise and admonition of, of all of our friends and those people. Look, our task is not to be the, the top dog in Pelham, Georgia. Our task is not to be uh, the greatest greatest in, in Georgia. Our task is not so that everybody knows who we are. Our task is to let everybody know who Jesus is and to tell people, you follow Him. Don't follow me. Don't follow me. Don't, don't get all excited about uh, getting to come to see me. My role is, is to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's what your role and my role should be to this day, is pointing people to Jesus. Look, you're, there's one that's coming. You need to see Him. It's Jesus Christ. You need to follow Him. And that's the great thing about being a witness of Jesus. You say, well, how can that be great? Look, you don't have to worry about letting people down. Guess what? If you put me on a pedestal, if you if somebody puts you on a pedestal, guess what? You or I are going to fall. One day we're going to let somebody down. I love Robin with all that I am. When I that wedding day when we got together in on June third, nineteen eighty nine, when we uh, when we said our vows before uh, the altar of God and before God and before all those who were witnessed that day, I know as well as you that my intention was is to always, always, never let this woman down, never let her down. But guess what? After nearly 30 years of marriage, there's been one day or two that I might not have been able to live up to that. You know what I'm about to say, don't you? I might have let her down. It might have been that, that I was supposed to do something and I, I forgot to do it. Or she was expecting me to, to do something. I didn't do it as well as I should have. There might have been a couple of times. Now, I never forgot our anniversary. Let me just say that. 
And I, 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 I want to promise you, I've never forgotten that. But there's been some husbands that have forgotten anniversaries, forgotten birthdays, forgotten special days, and that's letting down a little bit. Valentine's Day, I've never forgotten Valentine's Day or anything like that. But there's been other things. I've made promises to do this or that. And let me tell you, as a human being, we tend to let each other down from time to time. We tend to falter. But there's one that's never faltered. There's one who's never going to let you down. It's Jesus Christ. And when you show Jesus to other people, when you say, look, don't look to me as an example, look to Jesus Christ, guess what? You have the privilege of showing people the perfect example and never having to worry that He's going to let them down. Never having to worry that you're going to let somebody else down because you're pointing to Jesus. And that's what our role as as fishing buddies needs to be, is always point to Jesus. Third thing is, look, what's common with each of those people that gets called in this passage of Scripture? Did you see it? Did you see it? Oh, it's almost time. It's almost time. Last thing, did you see what happened each time? Let's look at it again. Look back here with me. Um, They came and they saw, uh, let's see, uh, the disciples that followed after uh, John, when they came to see Jesus, he says to them, what do you seek? And they say, well, we want to follow you. We want to... He said, they say, where do you dwell? And the implication is, look, we want to stay. Now, here's what, how it happened. When you became a student of a teacher, a rabbi, you went and dwelt, you stayed with them. And they said, basically, we want to follow after you. One of the two, verse 40, heard, uh, was um, which John uh, said to them, his name was Andrew. What did Andrew do? One of the first things Andrew did, he found his brother, Simon. And Jesus says, look, you're not Simon anymore. You're going to be known as Cephas, Peter. And he said, uh, so, and so one of the very first things that happens is, is he goes out and finds his brother. Then the other one, uh, he, he got Philip. What, what happens when Philip follows after Jesus? He goes and finds Nathaniel. He goes and finds him. And Jesus transforms that uh, Nathaniel's life. And He says, look, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Every time, every time they saw Jesus, they went and found somebody else. In your life and in my life, one of the greatest pleasures that we should have is to be so excited about Jesus that we go out and find someone else and say, you'll never guess. You'll never guess what I found. You'll never guess. I found Him. Now now you have to remember, (coughs) the Israelites have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so the prospect of finding the Messiah was so overwhelming they couldn't handle it they could they were like a a, a, a like a, a coke bottle with a mentos thrown in they were just so excited they're about to just bust they were just about to just just explode and so they went out and found the first person they could think of i'm gonna find my brother i'm gonna find a family member i'm gonna find somebody i'm gonna tell them look we found him we found him we found him 
And that's how it ought to be in our life. We ought to be so excited about the fact that we have found Jesus Christ in our life that we can't help it but to go find someone else. And then they teamed together and they went out and found more. And the more times that they found somebody, the more people they could team up with to go out and find other people. And throughout the Scriptures, Jesus tells them, go two by two. Why? Because you, when you're out there together, you support one another. When you're out there together, you lift each other up when, they, when you get down. It's just like when you go fishing. You're sitting out there, you're able to talk to somebody. And when you think, man, we've been sitting here for three hours and nothing happened, then the other person can say, yeah, but guess what? You remember, I pulled one this big out of there the other week. Maybe we'll find one over here where I, I pulled them out. And so you get excited and you help each other and you remind each other of why you're there and you remind each other about being excited about pulling that big one out. And that's what we need to do in our church is to get excited about the fact that we finally brought the one in that we have been trying for so long to get to come to know Jesus. And we get excited about taking them out and going with them to find somebody else. And the problem is some of you are getting to be like a fish. But what happens to a fish that sits out on the dock after you catch it? Well, it dies and then what happens? But you put that fish on a line, put it back in the water, what happens? They stay alive, right? They keep swimming around until you're ready to take them home. Some of us have gotten like that fish on a dock. We're starting to stink. And nobody wants to be around that fish. We got to the point where we are sour and we don't want, we don't care, we need to be alive. We need to be excited. We need to be out there saying, you know, guess what, guess what, guess what, guess what, guess what? I found him. I found Jesus. And tell other people, are you excited about Jesus as that? Or are you starting to get a little stale? Are you excited about what Christ, look, Jesus said, I've got living water. What's living water? (coughs) Water that bubbles up. Water that's excited. Water that's infused with life. And that is a, a metaphor for the Spirit of God. Some of us might need to talk to the Spirit of God again and say, my fizzy's not as fizzy anymore. Can you shake me up a little bit? Can you get me excited, Lord? And I dare you to pray that prayer. I dare you to pray it. Because guess what? He'll do it. He'll get you all excited. He'll get you all... And you, all you got to do is remember, we're one day closer to seeing Jesus. We're one day closer to being in His presence. We're one day closer. One day closer! It's just like a little child. Some of you little ones, is it, do you get excited the week before Christmas? Huh? Yeah, you get excited because you, and you're counting the days. <coughs> you don't wake up in the morning and say, "Oh no, tomorrow's Christmas." Now you might say that about school, going back to school, but you don't say that about Christmas or your birthday. You're all excited. Why? Because it's one day closer. One day closer. We need to be saying that ourselves. We're one day closer to seeing Jesus. One day closer to being in His presence. One day closer. And you ought to be excited. And you ought to also 
be worried about others that don't know Jesus because they're one day closer and they don't have Him. They're one day closer to His return and one day closer to being left behind. We need to tell others about Jesus. Amen? Amen. We need to tell others and get excited about it and we ought to get out there and get to work. Let's pray.